welcome to The Student Space, a podcast for students about high school, life after school, and how to actually be an adult. In this episode, I'm joined by Ben from the English Lab, who has over a decade of experience teaching English and also being a BCAR assessor. He shares insight and advice about the upcoming General Achievement Test, which is also known as the GAT. Enjoy! Before we jump into the chat, I want to respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which I'm recording this podcast and pay my respects to the elders past and present of the Rwandri people of the Kulon Nations. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ben. Firstly, just start up by telling us who you are and what you currently do. Thanks, Maya. Um, it's really great to uh, to be here. So uh, my job is that I, uh, well, I work for myself and I work with all uh, teachers across Victoria uh, working on their, their English teaching programs, essentially. So I was an English teacher uh, for a very long time, for about a decade or so, and now I work with different schools on how they go about teaching English and, and their English teaching programs. And that also means that I work a lot with students as well, particularly in VCE, um, sort of delivering presentations and uh, yeah, doing uh, teacher training, but also student presentations in, in helping them get the most out of themselves when it comes to VCE. Awesome. So I definitely think we are in good hands for this GAT episode, especially the writing tasks. <laughs> Not okay. Yeah, absolutely. So I've marked the uh, I've marked the, the, the GAT writing section for about the last six years, I think it is. Um, and, and that came after I jumped into marking an English exam about seven years ago and I sort of enjoyed that whole process. So I got into the GAT the, the next year and I've been doing it uh, each year since. Oh, excellent. So tell us, what is the GAT and who has to sit it? All right, so the GAT um, needs to be uh, sat by anybody who's sitting a 3-4 subject, uh, essentially. And the reason behind that is that it is used, uh, you know, to, to get an idea of uh, who these students are that they are eventually uh, going to use in order to, you know, put out their study scores. Hence why it's only the students that are sitting a 3-4 subject, the Unit 1 and 2 not having a study score, they, they don't need that. And so there's, you know, there's so much to it, but I always used to think the easiest way I used to put it to my students, because a lot of times there can be that sort of, um, I guess, laziness or that sense of, oh, does this really matter? And all those types of things. The, the easiest way I put it there was that it's, it's like an insurance policy in some regards, that if there's some reason why you can't be, you know, working at your best when it comes to the end of your exams, uh, that you've shown them, you know, in the gap what you are capable of. It's also there for them, uh, and when I say them, I mean the VCAA, the Victorian Curriculum and Assessment Authority. It's for them to have a sense of who you are and what you're capable of around all those different skills. And so uh, when that comes to the writing sections, you know, obviously it's about your written expression, your ability to think, your ability to develop a, a piece of writing and to be fluent and to be clear. And so with all the other skills, math, science, reading, you know, uh, humanities and arts and all those types of things, it's basically just showing what you can do. And it's the first um, external assessment that uh, that a lot of students will do for the year. Uh, and it means that then the VCAA can take that data. They can get a profile as to what they think you are capable of. They can put that against your SAC results. They can put that against your exam results and they can, um, you know, make a really informed, you know, sort of calculation when it comes to, you know, taking a look at what you and your cohort at your school were capable of. Uh, and uh, and taking a look at how you performed on the exams as to how they predicted you would perform and and basically keep an eye on things in that regard. So it's not something that, you know, is super important in terms of, right, if I do really well on this, it will lift all my marks or if I don't do well, it'll lower all my marks. It's not that direct, but it's just a good idea for you to go in there and just show the best version of yourself when it comes to all these skills. 
Absolutely. And I love how you mentioned it's like an insurance policy. That's a great way to put it because, <laughs> yes, we may feel that we are invincible, but you just never know what might happen. We might get sick. We might not be able to sit the exam. We can't predict the future. So it's what Absolutely. And there's always that, you know, it'll never happen to me, but, you know, lots of these things happen to people, you know, when it comes to exams. So you want to make sure that if that does happen, that you could look back at your performance on the, on the GAT and say, well, that was a true indication of, of who I am and what I'm capable of. Absolutely. So now tell me, what's it made up of? I do know it goes for three hours, so that could be quite scary for students. But what do we do in that three hours? What sections are there? So, and yeah, you're right with it being the three hours, which is, you know, a, a very long exam. And so it's a really good way for students to sort of dip their toe into the exam experience and say, right, I'm going to have to focus for that amount of time. The way it's set out is that there are um, two writing sections to start off with. And so when we dive into those later, um, I'll explain them in deeper depth. But there's there's writing task one and writing task two. It's written on there that it's advised that students spend 30 minutes on, on each of those, so an hour in total. Uh, and then there is uh, 70 questions in the multiple choice uh, section, which uh, there's two hours allocated for that. And so students will often ask, oh, okay, you know, am I allowed to spend more than 30 minutes on one of the writing tasks or, you know, less than two hours or things like that? There's not going to be anyone sort of standing over their shoulder saying like, right, it's 30 minutes, you have to stop writing that now or anything like that. You're just given those guidelines as to this is how long has been allocated, for, you know, for this task. Um, doesn't mean that there's anyone there, you know, sort of wrapping you over the knuckles if you go to 31 minutes on one of the on one of the tasks. So, um, yeah, that's the order that they appear in writing task one, writing task two, and then the multiple choice questions. Awesome. So for anyone listening, you can take 30 minutes for writing task one, you could take 35 or 40, but it's just a matter of managing your time to make sure you finish all sections within the three hours. Absolutely. And with that, sometimes there's, I don't know where it's come from, but students will often say to me, oh, writing task one's worth more than writing task two, right? And that's just, that's just not true. They're both allocated, you know, 30 minutes. So, you know, if you do have that extra time and so on, it's obviously, you know, better for you to, to spend more time on things, but I definitely wouldn't be spending more time on one task, you know, at the expense of another. Uh, I'd be making sure that I'd, I'd split that out and manage my time nice and evenly. Absolutely. So now let's do a deep dive into each section. So we'll start with writing task one. What information are we given and then what do we have to do with it? Yep. So writing task one is, uh, well, it's the only part of the gap that's in colour. So it'll be the first thing when they open up the, when students open up the, the actual material, which is like a, a, a small little book, you know, because there's so many questions in the gap. Um, it's, it'll be a two-page spread that they'll open up to and they'll see all of this information that's placed there in front of them. All of that information will all uh, pertain to, to one general sort of topic. So, for example, in the 2020 gap, it was all about cars. Uh, and so it had, you know, a photo of Melbourne before there were cars, you know, horse and carts and so on. It had information about, uh, you know, the future of travel. It had uh, quotes from travel experts. It had, you know, um, pictures of children playing with toy cars. And, you know, in years before that, it's been about things like Mars exploration or about, you know, coffee and how coffee is grown and the different types of coffee and where it's imported and the social impact that coffee has and all these types of things. So each year there's a, a general sort of a topic and all the information falls under that uh, umbrella. Um, of, of that topic. And the information comes across in a range of different ways. And, and it's really important that students think about what they're being assessed on, because it's not just 
okay, read this passage and then tell me what you think about it. There is obviously some written, um, you know, language in there that, that they have to read and understand, but there's a lot of visual uh, information that's there as well. So there's photographs. Uh, there's sometimes some photographs with some elaborations or dot points and so on underneath them. There's often something that will, um, you know, test their ability to, you know, interpret scientific or mathematical data, you know, and it's never anything, you know, way too extreme or anything like that. It could be a simple bar graph that has a trend. It could be a map, uh, you know, it could be all sorts of different things where information has been put um, to, to students in a different way. And so with all that information there, what they're expected to do is to take in what all of that information is saying and then put it down on paper in their words in a way that shows how well they've understood it. And so it's really important that students do more than just copy the material because, you know, if, if it's got dot points and so on, you, the job is not to say, oh, okay, I read that, now I'm going to write it word for word exactly what it said. Um, sometimes I think when students aren't feeling confident with it, they can also just observe the material, which means that they'll just say something like, there is a picture of a man, you know, doing this, or on the left page there is that. And, and that's, a, that's not an effective way to go about it either. That's just explaining it. it it's more there for the students to be able to say, right, I noticed this and I noticed that there was a quote that really was saying this and, I, and I'm going to put this information together and, and put it in really well-structured paragraphs. Do you think students should take all this information and structure it like a Wikipedia, so in a way that flows, that makes sense? Say if there's like a timeline, would you do it in order? Do you need like topic sentences, different paragraphs? How do they structure it? Yeah, that's yeah, that's a really, really um, you know important thing to think about um, when preparing for writing task one because there are many different ways to go about it. There's not a sort of a one size fits all sort of an answer to it. The main thing that's important is that when students look at the criteria, they'll notice that it says um, one of the things they're being assessed on is their ability to to organise the material, and so. For me, that really means, you know, their ability to sort it out into different paragraphs rather than it just being this big chunk of text that they've written down and that being something like, okay, I read all this and now blah, I'm just going to put it down on paper. The ability to say, right, I've read this, I've seen those things, I've understood them and I can put them into different categories and, and each of those categories will have its own paragraph dedicated to it. So therefore, it's a really well organised, effectively communicated, you know, piece of writing. So... I'd be um, encouraging students and, and when I, you know, work with students um, on this task, it's about saying to them, right, find the links that exist between the material. Um, you know, look at, look at one of the pieces of data and then look at one of the pictures. And then if you put them together, what conclusions can you come to? What can you, what can you realise when you put two or three of the things together? What, what's the overall link that exists between them? And the more that students look at, at previous years' GATS, the more that they'll see um, you know, how the VCAA have put those things down. You know, they're not looking to trip you up or anything like that. They've put uh, information in in a very deliberate way so that there are links there for you to find and so you can discuss those things together. Gotcha. On the two-page spread with all the pictures and some graphs and some statistics, let's say there's 12 or 13 pieces of information. Do I have to include all 12 of those bits of information or can I focus on five or six perhaps? It's a really good idea to cover as much of it as you can. You want to make sure that by the time you've finished writing your piece, you've shown a comprehensive understanding of what the material is saying as a whole. 
in saying that, if you've done a really, really good job of covering, you know, say, like you said, there were 13, you know, elements, you know, there on the page. Say you've done a really good job and, and you've used 11 or 12 of the elements, it's not going to matter that you've left out one. You know, the only time it's going to start to matter is if you start to look and you think, oh, well, I didn't mention that or I didn't mention the picture. Oh, I didn't really talk about that graph or that dot point. All of a sudden, when you start to list three, four things, you're really starting to be limited in how far you can go because you haven't shown that overall understanding of the main information in the material. So the answer to that lies in you want to be as comprehensive as possible, but don't panic thinking that the assessors are sitting there with a checklist thinking, oh, yeah, this is an excellent piece, but there was this one tiny little thing that was neglected. It's it's looking to do as much as possible and cover the main information in the material, which will mean that you'll have to cover you know, at least, you know, sort of 85, 90% of it. Absolutely. And so you did mention not restating what we see or restating, but what if there's a statistic? Can we just restate it or how should we embed it creatively or succinctly? Yeah, that's, uh, there's, there's times where I know, like, I'll, I'll go and I'll, um, I'll speak to students about it and I'll show them a sample piece that I've, uh, that I've written and, and I, I got caught up once because I'd said to them, look, I don't want you just to copy it. And, and the, the thing that I was referring to was was um, a, a dot point. And I'd written nearly word for word what had been said. And this student said, hey, you told us not to do that. And, and so my answer to that was, occasionally you are going to find yourself writing either very similarly or, you know, a sentence that is the same. So long as you go on to do something with that information after you've written it nearly word for word, that's fine. You know, there's going to be certain stuff that's written there that you can't put into other language and that's okay and that's understood. Okay, so my next question is, what if the particular topic, for example, last year was about cars? What if my general interest actually includes cars? Can I include anything from my general knowledge into writing task number one? Unfortunately, Maya, that would be irrelevant. What you walk into the GAT with uh, before you, um, you know, before you sit the GAT, uh, in, in writing writing task one is 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 irrelevant. It's it's not about what you know about the topic beforehand when it comes to this. It's about your ability to synthesize or process the information that's there on the page. So um, be really careful not to get caught up in oh I'm really into this topic or anything like that. Just make sure that you're working within the parameters of okay they've put this information in front of me and it's my job to take it all in pretend like I've known it my whole life and, and put it back down. You know, putting in other irrelevant information doesn't help in, in any way, shape or form because it's not doing what the task is asking. Okay, that's really good to know, especially if we did get a topic which we have no idea about. It's like a clean slate for everyone in Year 12. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's and that's one of the good ways to, to really think about it in that no one's at any advantage. You know, if it's some about some obscure topic or it's about like fly fishing or something, you know, it doesn't mean that those who are really into fly fishing and think, oh, I can say all this stuff that other people don't know. It's not a knowledge-based thing. It's It's about that ability to synthesize. Absolutely. And lastly, any final tips for task one? I think I think we've covered covered a lot of it. I think um, the main thing, and I'd say this about both of the tasks, take a look at the previous year's material. You know, it's often said that you can't study for the GAT, and, and I agree with that. You know, there's no dot points or, or study design to follow or anything, but you can prepare for it. So, um, you know, taking a look at the last two or three or four years of that writing task material with writing task one. And so when I'm talking about cars and Mars and coffee and smell and hearing and all those different things they've done, 
and you're looking at that going, oh, that's what he was talking about, or you know, that's 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 what how it was. Just so that when you walk in for um, for your year's gap, you're sitting there going, okay, I get it. it's pretty similar to other years, but instead of a graph, they've got a map, or instead of a map, they've got this, or instead of a quote, they've got song lyrics or whatever it might be. So that way you're feeling confident about your ability to to, to do it. I think that would be the main thing. And and the other main uh, main tip is, um, you know, I'm, I'm really keen on making sure that I don't come across as saying to students, do it this way and don't do it this way or anything like that. But a lot of students will ask me, you know, what about writing creatively? And and it, it is true that, yes, you can write creatively on the GAT. You know, that's something that, that you can do if you want. But, you know, it's true insofar as you can also go in there and write nothing if you want. You know, you're allowed to do anything, really. So writing creatively, I just say to students, if you're going to do it, make sure that you're fully aware that it's going to help you do a really good job of the task. It's really difficult to do writing task one in a creative fashion, in my opinion. So that's purely how I see it. That's not a view of, you know, the, the all the assessors or anything like that. I just think that often what I see when I'm working with students in preparing for the GAT is that they'll try to write a creative piece in half an hour. It's very hard to set up a creative piece, you know, in the context and character and setting and all that stuff within half an hour. And it's very easy to get sidetracked and start doing all these other things to make sure you've written this fantastic creative piece when really you weren't being assessed on that. You're being assessed on your ability to, to you know, process the information and present that. So, yeah, I want to be really clear in that and saying I'm not saying don't do it and you're not allowed or anything like that. But, you know, I'd, I'd, you'd want to be really sure because it can be one of those things that can really sidetrack students. Thank you. Some great tips there for task one. But now let's do a deep dive into task two. So, again, another writing task. What are we presented with? And what do we have to do with the information? Writing task two is going to uh, put four statements uh, in front of you. So it's a really bland piece of paper that has four, you know, they look like speech bubbles, just four rectangles. Um, and it will just be four distinct points of view. Uh, and, and again, they'll all have a, a thread or a theme or a link that exists between them. So in previous years, it's been um, like the conflict that exists between um, privacy and security. So there'll be a couple of points that are saying, you know, we should never give up our privacy for the name of security. And there'll be things saying the opposite, saying, you know, security is more important, you know, and, and for us to have a safe life, we have to, you know, give up um, certain privacies or something. So that was one of the ones from, I don't know, about four or five years ago. Uh, in other years, it's been about, you know, like the difference between work and relaxation. It's, it's often a way of looking at something and saying, right, here's an idea, here's something that exists in our lives and the way we live our lives, and here's four ways of thinking about it. What do you think? And, and the really important part there that students will see in the criteria, it says the extent to which you can develop your point of view. So it's really asking students to develop their own point of view, not talk generally about it, but rather look at the material that's been put in front of them and think, well, what do I think about this? What's my view on this? And, and that's where they should be, you know, launching off from to, to write their writing task two piece. Awesome. So we've been given four prompts, perhaps. Do we have to use all four in our response or can we pick one or perhaps just two of them? So it will say in the criteria, you know, based on one or more. Uh, and so it, it really is up to uh, each particular student with how they feel about going about it. There's no advantage. And I've sometimes said this to students and I think sometimes I think like I'm hiding the real answer, like there's a wink and a nudge, like, oh, you know, do it with four. It's the best way or something like that. There really is no advantage. It's a case of looking at them and thinking, oh, 
actually, I feel I feel very similarly to the first statement, and I could perhaps use the second statement as a bit of a rebuttal because I really disagree with that, or I vehemently disagree with the third statement. So I'm going to dive in and, and argue against that. But really, it's about being inspired by the four statements in looking at them and then thinking, right, where do I sit on this issue? And and I always point out to students that there's four statements, not two, because it's not this sort of tribal, you know, black and white, yes or no, sort of, you know, you must think this way or you must think that way. They'll notice that the four statements are very distinct in what they're saying and very, you know, clear in having a, a distinct point of view. Students should be looking to have that as well. So whatever the issue might be, whatever people are arguing about, it's not about jumping in the camp of, of one side of it and, and dismissing all other thoughts. It's about saying, right, when I think about this and the ways that it can be seen, this is where I land on it and this is how I feel about it. So there really is no advantage uh, in, in using all four or three or two or just one of them. It's just different ways of going about it. Um, the one thing to really make sure that you avoid with writing task two is that some students will put all four uh, of the of the stimulus, you know, um, sentences in there and then just respond briefly to all four. And that just means that you've got like four points of view that you've sort of half touched on, you know, and that's a really uh, unsophisticated way to go about it. You know, arrive at your own point of view based on what's been written there. Gotcha. And now we don't need to state which um, stimulus we're responding to. We don't have to say, I'm responding to number one. No, no, absolutely not. And and sometimes students like to start their piece by copying one of the stimulus, you know, sentences, you know, word for word, which, you know, it's not the worst thing to do, but at the same time, you don't have to do that. And I can understand why students get a bit caught up in that because, you know, in VCE English, we're saying things like answer the question, make sure you answer the question or with the comparative, you know, make sure that you're using what the comparative question is putting to you and da da da. Whereas with this, as long as your piece is in response to that overall issue, it, it's completely fine. So you don't need to state, I think, you know, like number three, it's a bit, little bit like writing task one there where you don't want to be saying things like in the graph or there is a picture of or anything like that. So you don't want to be saying, I agree with the fourth statement. You just want to be, you know, jumping off from the point where it's like, okay, having looked at all of them, this is this is where I sit. And now you mentioned it's all about persuading and giving our own opinion on a stimulus. Should we be using persuasive devices within it, like rhetorical questions, anecdotes, all those types of things? Yeah, it, it can be a really good idea to do so um, if that's part of developing your point of view and it, and it helps you do that in a more uh you know sort of resolute way then, then go for it but um i'd be advising students don't get too caught up in thinking again that there's some sort of checklist or that there's you know these sort of technicalities like okay you must use x amount of persuasive devices or anything like that it's just about putting your point of view forward in a really clear and coherent manner so that doesn't mean that you you know that you have to use you know rhetorical questions or emotive appeals or, or any of those types of things as long as you're being clear and distinct in exactly what you're saying. Cool. And does it matter what person we write in? Should I write in first person or should I adopt a persona or it doesn't matter? No, so it's um, it, it's completely up to, up to the student. Again, there's no uh, right or wrong way to go about it. Sometimes uh, when I speak to students about it, I'll, I'll give them examples that I can remember where um, students will put themselves and their own experiences into it. Because for some students, you know, injecting their own personality into their writing is how they write best. You know, it, it's how they can be authentic and genuine in their voice and, and really standing out and writing a really, you know, um, effective piece. 
some students look at that and think, oh, gosh, that's the last thing I want to do. You know, I really don't like injecting myself into my writing. And that's completely fine. You know, if, if a student's sitting there thinking, well, actually, I'm going to be able to develop a point of view, um, you know, best when I stand back from an issue and just point out really well thought out, insightful, intelligent, sophisticated arguments that I stand back from and just put out there in this very, um, you know, sort of clear way, well, then that's the best way to do it for, for that particular student. Someone else might think, well, I want to get in there with my personality and, and, and show how I see the world and things like that. And that's how I'm going to be really, um, you know, clear in what I'm saying and, and have a real sort of genuine voice. Awesome. Cool. And my last question for writing task two is, unlike writing task one, can we put our own general knowledge into this? And this does touch on what you just mentioned. Can we give, I don't know, a great example or a statistic? Can we pop that in? Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. So, you know, the next step after you've sort of thought, well, actually, this is my point of view on, on this issue or on this way of thinking, you have to think about, well, how am I going to frame that? You know, what arguments, what am I going to use in order to help me get that idea across? And so uh, you are not just encouraged to, you know, um, it's it's not just, oh, you can do it, you, you should do it. You know, you should be using your view of the world. And, and one of the really... Um, one of the really interesting things about that is that it can really be about uh, what what we see, and this isn't a, a black and white rule or anything, but just generally what I tend to see is that students who can show thinking of about the world outside of themselves tend to be the ones that end up showing more insightful thought and a more developed point of view and, and perform better on this. So I want to be really clear in saying that's not like, you know, the silver bullet, like once you start talking about other people, bang, you're instantly going to get a good mark. But having that sort of depth of thinking about, okay, this is what I feel and this is how I can show my understanding of the world and people other than me and why my point of view is valid and so on often leads to that more insightful, in-depth sort of thinking that, that can take us a lot further. Awesome. Thank you. And now I know we touched on time management, but do you have any tips on managing time? Is it just as simple as smashing out these writing tasks one after the other or doing multiple choice first? What, what's your game of attack? Yeah, I think, you know, like like, like with anything, it's it's about um, being prepared and, and knowing what's coming so that so that you can make decisions that are that are there for you. I know certain students will say to me, um, you know, I've heard that the 70 multiple choice questions don't actually take two hours. And, you know, a friend of mine did it last year and, you know, they, they you know, finished their writing tasks early within half an hour each. Um, and then, you know, they had heaps of time left at the end or something like that. And other students say they didn't have enough time. So it's going to be, you know, completely up to each individual student. I have heard people saying, you know, I'll do the multiple choice questions because once they're done, they're done and you can't change, you know, you, you can't really go back and make an answer more correct or anything like that if you think you've got it right. Whereas with, you know, the more time you have with your writing, the better you can do. Personally, I would think that if I've just been, you know, using all my, uh, you know, knowledge and effort and all that th stuff on, on um, you know, doing multiple choice for two hours to sit down and write a half hour piece and then another one, I'd find that pretty exhausting. I'd like to get the writing done first because it's that thing where you have to focus on it for the longest amount of time. But that's just, you know, that's that's just me and, and how I would feel about it. Um, 
I would think that, uh, you know, it's you've been given that time because that's what they think, you know, the average student is going to take. So I, w- I would be doing it the way it's done there in the book. I'd be taking that, uh, that half hour for each of the writing tasks. It's understood when these pieces are marked that you only had a half hour to do them. You don't have to write like a perfect introduction and a perfect conclusion and have this you know, um, essay that's all, you know, wrapped up in a bow and everything like that. It's understood that it's a half-hour writing task, so just get in and do the job uh, and and then, you know, worry about it from there. Absolutely. And there's no particular word count requirement or you have to do X amount of pages. It's just whatever you get done in the 30 minutes, right? Yeah. So there's nothing that says that, you know, you can't get a certain score if you don't write this amount of words or anything like that. In saying that, you know, what we'll, What you'll find is that obviously because they have to, you know, rank the pieces and, and so on, the very top marks will be uh, reserved for those students that not that not only do the job, but do so in a way where they've used sort of introductory-like language in the opening of their piece. They've summed up their pieces really nicely. They've, they're comprehensive in how much they've covered, and often that will lead to, you know, a, a longer word count and so on. So, it's not a case of, all right, more words equals higher marks or anything like that. But, you know, it does have to be understood, of course, that, you know, the students that are really being comprehensive in the way they go about it and using all the material in writing task one or using a range of arguments and ideas with writing task two are giving themselves that best opportunity to, to, to climb that ladder in, in the rankings. Absolutely. So that wraps up task one or writing task one and writing task two. So let's chat now about the multi-choice section. So multi-choice, there are 70 questions. What are the requirements? What can we expect from them? So it covers basically everything else other than writing. So there's, there's scientific thinking and, and mathematical abilities and there's, you know, arts and humanities-based questions. So about interpreting, you know, cartoons and interpreting political cartoons or, or artworks or photographs or, or write, you know, you've got to read, you know, certain passages of writing and, and interpret those things as well. So there's a whole range of skills that's going to, you know, test, test, you know, your, your understanding of, of all those different, um, you know, disciplines, I guess, of, of how we can think and how we can work things out. So from the very sort of technical problem solving based sort of skills, all the way through to the more abstract sort of, okay, we've read a passage of literature, and now we have to um, answer questions based on how we've, you know, read and understood it. Absolutely. And I know math science is not your forte. But in terms of like the passage, English type <laughs> of questions, do you have any tips for nailing them? For example, shall we read the questions first and then the passage, like, you know, your classic example? Yeah, I think there's um, there's there's a, there's a set of, um, of of strategies that you, that you can follow no matter what the question is. And, and the first thing I would be doing would be to um, make sure that I can, you know, have a think about what I think the answer might might be, you know, straight off the bat, and then look to erase any answers that I know are incorrect, you know, and I know from, you know, looking through the gats of previous years that sometimes I'll look and I'll think, oh, I don't know the answer to that. I, I, I can't be 100% confident, but I know that it's not D, you know, for example, or, or whatever it might be. And, and working that way can be a really good way of improving your chances. You know, sometimes even if you don't know the answer, you might know what it's not. Uh, and that might improve your chances from one in four to one in three, maybe even one in two. Um, from there, I think as well, um, it's important to to have a think about, you know, 
how can I make the best guess at this? You know, if I don't know the answer straight out, what is it that I can look at that, that might be able to help me with it? And and one of the odd things that, that pops up, particularly with the reading questions and sometimes with some of the others, sometimes it's the most correct answer. And that's a bit of a, a weird one to put forward, that idea that it's the most correct. But you'll realise sometimes that you'll be th- look, going through, um, you know, some of the questions and you'll be thinking, oh, well, it could be B, but it could also be C. Like sometimes it'll appear like there's two right answers. Well, which one's the most correct? You know, which one has the most evidence supporting it and so on, particularly for those more abstract things. You know, be aware that there are going to, going to be questions that you're going to look at and think, well, I could see that being B or C. Well, often when it, when you're thinking that, a lot of other students will be thinking the same thing. The question's probably designed that way. But there'll be something that you'll be able to look at and think, oh, actually, it's it, even though it could be B, it's definitely C because of because of these reasons. Um, and like like you asked about with um, with going back and rereading the material material and so on, it's really really important for um, with the reading ones to make sure it, it's not a memory game. It's not a memory test. Like, oh, okay, you've read this passage now, answer these five questions. Uh, it's it's not about, okay, well, I read it once, so I'm not allowed to go back and reread it. You'll notice with the reading ones, they'll have numbers in, in brackets that'll point you back to the line uh, from the passage that it's on. So they're, they're essentially saying to you, you know, on line seven, when the character said this, it's essentially saying to you, go back and read line seven and the line before and after it, and, and then come back with it with a good idea of this question. So with the reading ones, I'd be approaching it in, read it yourself the first time, Read the first question, think to yourself what the answer might be, look at what all the possible answers are, go back and reread the part of the passage that they've directed you to with the knowledge of what the questions are and and the answer should pop out to you then. When I say should, you know, I I, I probably should use a better term than that because that that would imply that everyone should always get the right answer. That's not going to happen. But that's giving yourself the best chance of saying, right, you know, this is where I'm going to be for where I can get, you know, the the answer that I think it'll be. Definitely some great advice there. And I just want to highlight to students that the multi-choice is only out of four. You've got A, B, C and D. And that's unlike some other exams which you will have at the end of the year which might have an option e so it's quite good that we've got one less option that if you are guessing and finding the most correct one you have a better chance if you're knocking out either two or three or like one or two options as well yeah absolutely and 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 with that um there's been certain schools that i've visited uh in the last couple of months and they've been doing practice gats and so on and i've sort of noticed a bit of a trend with students that feeling a bit down about themselves or feeling like, oh, I'm not that intelligent stuff because the gap was so hard or there were certain questions and they'll say things like, oh, I must be stupid because, you know, like question 33, like I wouldn't even know how to do it. I didn't even know what the answer might be, you know, and all those types of things. Don't be dispirited. You know, the the gap is really tough in certain sections. Um, I know, you know, way back when, when I was um, a bit younger, I was a bit cocky. I sort of stood up in front of the year 12s that I taught and I didn't really plan the lesson. I was like, oh, we'll just do question 24 together. Everyone turned to question 24 of last year's GAT. And I got halfway through it and I realised, I don't know the answer to this. I can't work it out. <laughs> it's really tough. And, and some of those questions are, are really hard. So um, the way I think that's always worth remembering for students that, you know, there's tens of thousands of students because you've got the year 11s as well. It's not just sort of like the 45,000, you know, um, year 12s that are sitting it. You've got tens of thousands of students and they're trying to, discern who is at, you know, the very sharp end of some of these skills, the only way they can do that is by asking questions that maybe only 10 or 15% of the state are going to be able to answer. So if you're looking at going, 
I don't even know how you'd answer this. Chances are 85% of the state are thinking the same thing. So don't be dispirited by some of the questions being really hard. You know, one of the things I'll say to students, I'm like, if you come to me after the GAT and you say that you're confident you got all 70 out of 70 right, like I'll, I'll buy you lunch because I don't think there'll be many students that, that will. It'll be a very, very small number. Absolutely. And it's worth reiterating because a lot of students are always aiming to get 100 out of 100 for multi-choice yeah. and forgetting a high score. So the GAT's not designed to get it all right. It's designed to be challenging and to only get most of it or some of it, um, especially if you are, say, a maths brain. You could go through and find all the maths questions quite easy and accessible, but when it comes to the humanities or the analysing um, the passages, you might find that a bit challenging. So there are different parts where you can definitely pay, play to your strengths. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, they're, they're, everyone's going to be be challenged by by different parts of it, and some of us are going to be more challenged by by more of it, or or less challenged by less of it. You know, it's going to be all those things. Just just keep going through it and 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 putting your best foot forward, and and that's the best you can do. Absolutely. So now I've just got a few other random questions. So what if I just bomb out of the gat and I just have a bad day and I don't do well, but I do really well in my end of year exams? How does that play a part? Well, I would I would imagine that's not going to have a, a huge impact in in terms of well, you know, you, you got you you got lucky in that you um you know you you did it the right way around. I guess it's better to have bombed the gat and do well on the exams than uh, than the opposite. Um, because uh, essentially, you know, what that'll be is that they'll they'll look at your your exam scores and they'll say, right, this is what this student could do for us on that day, and we'll put it with their SAC score and, and put that out there. They're not going to look at it and say, oh, but hold on, maybe it's not that good because of the GAT data. Um, you know, it, it's it's not going to work that way and have that sort of tangible impact um, on a score. So. Uh, in, in also saying that sometimes when I speak about the importance of the GAT with year 12s, I, one of the common questions, I can tell who didn't really try hard when they were in year 11 because I'll go, uh, does that mean they can look at my last year's GAT? No, the, the year that you sit the GAT in is the year that they will use, uh, they will use that year for your 3-4 score of, you know, of that particular year and then they wipe the slate clean and next year when you're in year 12, it's all about how you go on the GAT of that year. There's no sort of culmination of it or, or sort of aggregate score or anything like that. Perfect. And so will my GAT ever help me bring my mark up? So if I perform really well on the GAT but not so well on my BCE end of year exams, will it get be, like matched? Will it get remarked how does it work not in a um not in an outright tangible way that i that i know of in terms of they say oh well maybe they maybe you just had a bad day we'll just bump it up because we see that the gap you know the, the the students gap data was good but i can tell you that you know in my experience as an english assessor that i'll um sometimes be asked to get involved in what's called fourth marking and and what that means is that uh, when all the marking has been completed and all the uh, marks have, have been allocated to students They'll take a look for where there's any, you know, really big discrepancies between how students were um, predicted to, to perform, their predicted performance, their expected performance and their, and their actual one. And, and so that's an, an added safety measure. Uh, so essentially what that really means is that it takes out any uh, way of a student thinking, no, there's no way, you know, I, I didn't score well on that section of the English exam. You know, I must have just got, you know, two or three dodgy assessors who all got it wrong because if there is that huge discrepancy, it will get put forward 
uh, to be marked again, you know, and that's why they call it that fourth marking, that it might be the fourth time that that's being read and it's an experienced assessor who takes a look at it. So again, it's a bit of that insurance policy. So I guess in that very, very, very specific scenario, if you've done really well, and I'm, I'm using English as an example, because that's, you know, as far as my experience takes me with these things, um, you, you'd have that example of if, if you were to do really well in, in the, say, the writing sections of, of the GAT and so on, and then something were to happen where you somehow got two examiners that perhaps didn't give you what, what it was worth and so on, you know, in that very specific scenario, you know, it, it might be there to help you out. Awesome. Well, it is good to know for anyone that was wondering. I was also going to ask you about, can we annotate on the GAT like papers? So can we annotate the, the booklet, the multi-choice questions to help us maybe do a bit of a plan? Absolutely. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, draw all over, draw all over them if, uh, if, if, if you want to. They're, maybe your year 12 coordinators won't be happy because they might want to use them the next year, but uh, <laughs> don't use that as an excuse not to, not to do it. Yeah, yeah, you're more than uh, more than entitled to, to to draw all over them and, and write your plans and do your things that are going to help you out. So long as you're not doing it in reading time, so long as you wait until it's time for you to pick up your your pen, then uh, absolutely you're you're, you're more than uh, more than able to to draw all over it. One of my students actually asked me this. They said, "If we're in a Victorian lockdown for the GAT." Is it extended or do we have to sit it online? What will happen? I have no idea at the moment, Mia. I've, I've, I don't. I think you know they could probably put that question to, to James Molino and and so on at the moment. I, I'd I'd take a I'd take a guess that maybe even he doesn't know what uh, what what they're going to be doing <laughs> just yet. So. Um, I think, you know, students have shown that they've, they've been really adaptable to all these different changes that have been happening. So uh, at the moment, with Victoria being in lockdown, you know, I don't think anyone can say with any certainty, you know, it definitely will be over by this date or we'll definitely be in school by June the 9th. I think it's just going to have to be something that students are going to have to roll with and, and try their best not to get too stressed out about it. I think it's a case of, you know, when whatever decisions will be made will be made, worrying about it or speculating as to what they're going to do before they do it isn't really going to help uh, help the, that decision be made. And and remembering that if they're feeling like, oh God, this uncertainty is really difficult to deal with, yep, it is, and and that's fine. But you know, it's also remember that you know we're all in the same boat in that regard. In that you know, if, if you're finding it unsettling or you know you just wish there was a bit of certainty well there's there's you know everybody else is is going through that same stuff as well which doesn't always make it easier but just something to to keep in mind I guess absolutely and so in preparing for the GAT we don't have to do extensive practice and drills and writing a billion essays but what can we do just to prepare I understand we can in preparing, know what's going on and know what to expect, but anything else we could do? I know that a lot of schools will ask the students to do a writing task, and, and I think that's a really good idea uh, to do, you know, at least one of, of um, one writing task one and one writing task two, and have at least done both of them once. Um, I think like with all things, you know, it's about that balance. And, and so, you know, if I was going into the GAT as a student in 2021, I'd want to feel confident. I'd want to feel like, okay, I know what it's going to be like. So I would have I would have wanted to have done, you know, the exercises that are going to be on the GAT, you know, but before I go in there. Um, in saying that, like we said, you know, that difference between preparing and studying, 
you know, it's definitely not worth, you know, getting completely frazzled over and, you know, staying up till 3am and writing all these writing pieces and doing all these multiple choice questions or trying to preempt what might be on the gat or anything like that. It's just that way of going, look, I know the format of it. I know how it's going to be. I'm prepared for it. I've tried a couple of the writing tasks. I've looked at previous years, so I know the type of questions that they ask. You know, some of those multiple choice questions as well, it can be good just to go through those to think, okay, so there's a, there's a reading one, and then there was this scientific uh, science-based one, and then there was this. So I get the way that it's going to be put down so that when you're sitting the gap, you're thinking, okay, this is what I expected. But I definitely, you know, just like with the results from it, you know, it's, it's worth taking seriously, but it's not worth getting really stressed out over. Um, you know, it's worth preparing for, but it's not worth, you know, spending hours and hours and hours uh, trying to preempt what might be on it, you know, for all those types of things. So finding that healthy balance that exists in between, I think, is really important. Definitely. Great advice there. And the last thing before we wrap it up, I want to chat to you about the gatch phrase, if you've heard of it. So on social media, <laughs> on Facebook groups, a lot of students um, will try um, persuade other students or a big group of students to mention a particular thing or a particular idea in the GAT. Are examiners aware of this? And if they find students are doing it, do they get marked down? Uh, assessors are aware of it, most definitely. Um, it's something that took me by surprise the first year. I think the first year I started marking the GAT was like 2015, I think, and it was something like... Um, that was my... Year. Oh, there you go. Chappelle Corby. Yes. Or, and then there was also... Yeah, like, I remember. Yeah, Shannon Knoll being robbed in Australian Idol or something like that. And I wasn't aware of it. And I was reading one of these pieces and it was this really intelligent point of view being put forward. And then it turned and it said something like, you know, sometimes life's unfair, like Shannon Knoll being robbed in the season of Australian Idol. I thought, what is going on? <laughs> and the rest of it was really good. And so I thought, oh, okay, that's fine. And then about an hour later, I came across this Shannon Knoll again, or it was Cat in the Hat or something like that. I'm getting all the years mixed up. Um, and so that's how I learned about it. Um, the, the, the assessors are aware of it. It is pretty funny. Um, I'm sort of... Uh, getting on a bit now in, in age as well. I'm getting a bit older and I've found myself people going, have you heard of this this gatch phrase and stuff like that that they they bring up? And often the times, particularly if it's something that's on like TikTok or something like that, you know, it's something that I haven't even heard of. You know, I might ask, um, you know, certain teenagers that I'll know, I go, what's this thing? Yes, it, it's there. Um, it's a bit of fun. Um, look, it's not something where there's like a black and white rule that says, oh, my goodness, if you see any one of those kids using that, you know, that stupid catchphrase, you know, mark them down or anything like that. It, it doesn't doesn't work in that regard. Some students might try so hard to get something like that in there that they actually won't be doing the task that they're trying to do. So inadvertently, it really will limit how far they can go. If you've written this excellent piece that's super well organised and really well done and you've got some little cheeky throwaway into it that doesn't really detract from it, it's not going to be, in my opinion, the, the, the difference between, all oh, right, well, it was all going well until then, then I struck marks off of it. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those interesting things. There's no technical thing to say, right, it'll be a big issue. Sometimes it can really distract students um, from what they're doing, though, but it, it does keep things interesting when you realise a few things being thrown up there um, in the gap and, and what, it, <laughs> what students have, have thought they'd put in for that particular year. Absolutely. Well, that's good to know. And lastly, to wrap up, I asked all my guests on the podcast this, what is something that you wish you knew when you were in year 11 and year 12? And it doesn't have to be about the GAT. It can be about absolutely anything. I think for me, it would be 
that you know this that there's certain things that are challenging and that there's certain things that that are the hard about year 12 and there's certain things that are that are great about VCE for me personally it would have been about um probably a little bit of like you know wake up and start doing some of the harder work now i was probably one of those students who realized about two and a half years into my uni degree you know how to go about studying and working hard and and it was a little bit like that late wake up call like oh my gosh all that stuff that my teachers have probably been saying to me in year eight year nine year ten about you know getting the most out of myself and studying and all that stuff took probably too long to click for me and and that you know i, I tried in, in in year 12 and and i did okay and everything like that but if i look back at it I probably could have done, you know, a bit better. And, and I, I know that lots of students feel that when, when they leave. So for me personally, it's going to be different, obviously, for everyone, like you said, with what you ask, probably, you know, switch on a, a little bit. It, it, I, I, I took a little bit longer than perhaps I, I, I should have to, 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 maybe, um, to maybe pick that up. And the other thing, I guess, is, uh, you know, I, I think sometimes we have, you know, because people sometimes, I guess, lack something else to say to kids that are doing year 12. They're like, oh, you're stressed and all that stuff. Don't let that be to be your default. I, I think when I when I look back at it, I loved, you know, being in year 12 and everything and all the freedom and everything that came with it and, and that was exciting about where you were going. You know, don't forget, and it can be easy to forget, I guess, with, with COVID and all these types of things as well. Don't forget, don't forget to enjoy it and, and look around and enjoy what you know is the last year of, of secondary school and and uh, yeah, get get the most out of it because you won't be in a situation like that you know, ever again. Absolutely, some wise words there, Ben. Now, to end, I just wanted to mention to anyone listening, Ben has an incredible YouTube channel, Instagram page at the English Lab where you can find him. He posts such great content about different English books, novels, also more content about The Gap, which you can check out. Um, so I definitely recommend you checking them out. I will link them in the show notes and they will also be on my Instagram too for you to find. But Ben, just to end, just tell us where the students can find you. Yeah. So uh, yeah, thanks for mentioning those things, Mayo. We um, in, in 2020, I started a YouTube channel as, as a bit of a project and to help students that were sort of at home and things like that. And it's something I really enjoy doing. It's, um, it's all completely free, obviously, with it being on, on YouTube. Um, and the best part about it for me is that I still get to enjoy what I used to love doing, which was teaching year 12 and all the different texts. Uh, so I try to choose a, a book um, from, from the section A, you know, texts and put four or five videos up there about, right, have you looked at this scene in depth or have you looked at these 10 quotes and here's an overview and here's a sample paragraph. So I do quite a bit of sample writing for students as well, I think, and they tend to respond really well to that. So, um, you know, type in, yeah, the English lab um, and then your text name. Most of the really popular ones are there. There's also things on the comparatives as well and there's different ways of thinking about it. And it can just be a, a different way for, for students to really get into it. And the other good thing about that, you can ask me questions there. I, I really make it um, as part of the project. I really make it a goal of mine that if a student puts a really reasonable comment or question up there, you know, I'll obviously get the email saying that it's there. I'll make an effort within a week or two to make sure I get on there and, and respond to that, sometimes quicker. Um, but I want to make sure that students that are, are putting in that effort at home and so on and thinking, oh, actually, I might ask this guy this and get his opinion. You know, I want to want to be able to, to do those things. And so, yeah, the uh, the Instagram is at VCE English uh, 2021. And that, so that's more directed just for students. And so there's little snippets of videos and, and pieces of advice. And it's another avenue where, where students can ask questions, really. 
Awesome. Well, definitely check it out. And thank you once again for joining us today on the Student Space, Ben. I've loved the chat on the GAT. It's been so helpful. And I know if anyone's listening to this before the GAT, they'll get a lot out of it. So thank you. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thanks very much, Mayor. I really, uh, really enjoyed it. Appreciate it. If you like this episode or have any more questions, head over to our Instagram at the.studentspace. Now there is a full stop between the and student. And just remember, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not provide any personal advice. Thank you for all your support, everyone. See you later.